Um, I started recording, but we don't, we can ease into it. I just want to make sure we don't miss any hot takes right off the bat or anything. Oh, yeah. Hot <laughs> takes. It's, it's nothing but hot takes, so don't worry. <laughs> How's it going? It's good. It's good. I've been, uh, you know, going to my show every weekend. It's like, you know, pushing the rock up the hill. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel like you should like do you feel like you want to be there because just because it's a nice way to see people or you feel like you have to be there I think it's cool to be there because otherwise it's really hard to make plans with people you're not in a pod with like, right so awkward to like try to be in space with people like the thing I miss most about the quote-unquote before times Mm-hmm. which I hate, I hate that phrase, but it's really useful. Um, yeah, is, that, you. <laughs> is that like, I miss the casual, but kind of also meaningful acquaintanceship in the art worlds that we travel. Yes, in. Like, totally. I agree so much. Like, I feel like I've heard a lot of artists be like, oh, I don't even miss openings. And I understand like openings can be boring, but I totally miss all the people that I wouldn't, necessarily get lunch with but I would see all the time yeah yeah it makes me miss all the people I kind of like hated you know (laughs) yeah I mean I feel like maybe it's like being on a desert island and then you see like anybody you ever knew and you're like I'm happy to see a human (laughs) yeah oh I mean I'd be happy to see a seagull like and I don't like birds I'd be like oh all right there's potential there flight Uh the magic of flight is being demonstrated in front of me I think about that a lot but you know yeah (laughs) did you um were you this is a personal question and I don't it doesn't necessarily have to go in but um we can get Oprah-ish if you want, but um, <laughs> I'm just I'm curious. more or less in a book, so. Yeah, I'm just curious, like, you live alone, or do you still live alone? I know you have a boyfriend now, but, like, were you living alone for the beginning part of the pandemic? I live alone, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, I like living alone. Yeah. Um, it's cool. I have a studio apartment in Park mm-hmm. Slope. I live there. Mm-hmm. It's my little woman cave. It's mm-hmm. tricked out with all the stuff I want. It's kind of a functional studio, it's mm-hmm. function, very functional bedroom. Um, I do a lot of my work in my bathtub. Yeah. Thinking about things. <laughs> and I just, uh, so yeah, it's worked out for me. I mean, I don't know. It's like a room of one's own. That's the dream, right? I, think, I guess yeah. I can that somehow. Totally. Um, that's interesting. Like, I, yeah, I feel like this funny feeling like zooming with you because of your um because you're like a you're like a video star so it's like but like we haven't like interacted in this way before but there's something a little surreal about it because I'm used to seeing you on video somehow so it's like funny to like like it feels trippy somehow yeah and it is strange how I don't, I don't really understand the people who follow me on Instagram that I don't know that I've never met before, but apparently being some sort of like consistently cynical, sarcastic person in space, experiencing the world and trying to translate that to people in as honest a way I can is something that is cathartic for people. I think they're all introverts personally. I'm like, 
bonkers extroverted so I just don't know how to talk to myself I never I've never talked to myself and I think oh, really? it's yeah, I think of it as a character flaw. Like, I feel like really smart, brilliant people talk to themselves and figure stuff out out loud alone. And I have to have an audience. Like, there's literally no way for me to exist without other people around. I'm like, you know, the WB frog. Like, just, <laughs> just like ribbit, ribbit. Like, when no one's around, it's like ribbit, ribbit, food, like base instincts. Like, there's nothing happening honestly that's really interesting because yeah I well I consider myself an introvert but I but maybe I don't know I feel like, like I, I feel like I'm in my heart I'm an introvert but I am very social and I like performing also but I felt like my best performance actually would be when I perform by myself like imagining a future audience in some way huh like yeah I feel like it was like I don't know, because I like, I feel like sometimes I can be self-conscious when I'm too aware of an audience or something. Yeah, I guess the self-consciousness just sort of like shakes me awake into my body. Mm-hmm. It's harder. It's harder when I'm, I'm alone to feel that way. I'm like, yeah. the, my worst nightmare is being in the country. Like, <laughs> people have told me forever to apply like residencies. And like, if they're not in a major city, I'm like, what would I do? do I just like look at frogs and think about I don't even know I I, nature means nothing to me I I have to say like I want to be an environmentalist but like I love plastic straws and iced coffee and I don't like the paper ones they have at fancier coffee places and Mm -hmm. I care I give no fucks about the environment it's really bad I feel the same way kind of I like feel like well I think that is part of your cathartic appeal uh cathartic appeal is that you do not seem to censor yourself very much, which I think is like very, is like a diminishing quality in our times right now, especially now maybe. Well, I guess it's because I don't have to worry about being canceled from my job as like some kind of adjunct academic because I've been inappropriate. I can be like a boomer in a corner that no one cares about just speaking my truth and like, you can take it or leave it, but like no institution is supporting me to do that. And therefore I'm not putting anybody in je- jeopardy you yeah. know, by speaking what my mind. And I guess, I mean, for what it's worth, like that, that's like my point of freedom and pleasure. It's like, I want to make art so I can feel free in any space, like in one space that I've created, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, I think that is, I well I really like that quality and I like that quality in art like a not I feel like we have a lot of art or I'm feeling a lot of like propagandistic kind of um urges in culture right now and I maybe in the art world especially and I was very like freaked out by it and it's it's weird too because like again like yeah you don't see that many people and you don't get to talk to them one-on-one so a lot of things are mediated in terms of like presenting some kind of whatever image of yourself to the world or something. But um, yeah, I wonder, well, I wonder two things. Did you, do you feel like you always just felt a kind of unfiltered ability to be unfiltered? And then um, maybe we can talk about yourself a bit too. Cause I think what's interesting about it is how, like, I was like, like, 
I feel like it's very ambiguous in an interesting way. Like I don't. I'm making anti-propaganda. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like it um, resists. Like what's it resists having a clear message in like like it's abstract. It's kind of dreamlike, even. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's something about maybe the time I was raised in, like the '90s, where <laughs> I feel like there was like a very distinct project of like if we all in our different spaces come together and discuss and have discourse we'll come to some realization about like a better society together like I think a lot about the real world season one mm. which you've ever seen is different from yeah. all other real world seasons because it's before the producers realize that reality tv is about causing like fake conflicts that are resolved in a cathartic way for the viewer, like wrestling, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they really, you can tell that like the producers were like, why don't we get like the angry, like black gay people to resolve their shit with the like white punk dudes or whatever. And it's like, everyone wants to make it happen. Everyone mm -hmm. wants to make this harmonious place in which they can live, but that's not good TV. So like literally right after that, they like basically were like, throwing more bones into the fire and I mean I guess I guess what I think about that is just like I don't understand this idea that there's just like one box that's appropriate for every single identity to like yeah. fit themselves into and I don't think that's freeing I think that's fascism you know exactly. so so I mean I think about North Korea where there's one guy who determines everything Kim Jong-un and that's why I've played him so many times because I think it's such a like a valuable counterpoint to our idea this in, this neoliberal individualism that we are so fetishistic about protecting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that isn't really free if at, around it there's all these gatekeepers who say exactly what the shape of your freedom should be depending on what your perceived exterior subject position is and mm -hmm. sometimes that just gets me very conflicted because I'm like an Asian American woman and that the value of that shifts like all the time like mm -hmm. a year ago I was like just walking around in space an American and then like a week after a year ago, I was like the source of coronavirus potentially. And like, I'd walk around Flatbush with my boyfriend and like random people would come around and call me China virus in Spanish or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like strange where suddenly I was like, oh, right, right. I'm a race. Like, oh yeah, this could be a thing. I was like, oh, is this what it was like to be like a Sikh after 9-11? Like, right. You know, not that I'm like ever operating outside of self-consciousness about that, but that suddenly it felt like a really um, immediate threat. And then, mm -hmm. and then now, of course, like we're in this moment where there's a lot of activism around awareness of that, around awareness of anti-Asian hate and, and the prejudices around it. And I don't feel like I fit neatly into any box because... I, you know, it, I kind of resent, I don't understand the categorization. I'm like, do I have that much in common with like a new Bangladeshi immigrant? We're both Asian Americans, but I'm from Queens and like, right. 
and I and I, I don't have that same experience. And are they being blamed for China virus, even though they're browner than me and they have like different a different understanding of the le- of the world we are in? Like I'm sure they experience anti-Muslim hatred or you know mm-hmm. something else. Right. Um, but it, it's like we're in different categorical categories of experience, but we're also somehow branded under the same thing in this activism role. So right. I feel really strange and ambivalent about that and like tied down in a way that I don't understand because I do perceive myself as an American, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess the show is about presenting that sort of strange contradiction. You know, I play like a white Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, I play myself as a performance artist who's enraged about, you know, anti-Asian hatred and then being sort of objectified in the art world. And then I also play Kim Jong-un who's watching this just like completely amused and confused by whatever is going on. It's like, what other reaction could you have, you know? Yeah. It's interesting how you keep returning to Kim Jong-un and like, I really like how all these pieces fit together actually, because it does, yeah, become this contradiction. Like, like, I really liked your press release, too. Like, did you write that? Yeah, I wrote the press release. It's really beautiful. Like, I don't know. It, um, yeah, again, it kind of defies any clear, like, message or anything. It just proposes different things. Problems. That are kind of, yeah, problems. Um, but, yeah, like, I found, well, I was thinking a bit about, like, Charlie Chaplin with some, like, when he's dancing on the bridge and... I don't have, I feel like all the characters, I don't have a clear, I might think at first I am going to have a a like clear response to them. And then it like changes as you watch them or something like, like, I feel like he seems like lonely and I feel a little, you know, my heart goes out to him a little bit, even though he's clearly like this fictional person also, or I don't know, or even, yeah, the one with the with the Karen and you say like we're all Karens I thought was an interesting um idea like it well I say you're all Karen oh you say you're all Karens (laughs) I thought it was we're all Karens but like um yeah like it I I mean I liked seeing the Karen like it's interesting also the Karen character and then Kim Jong-un is there too and then there's like the art audience stuff and the contrast of that like group of people versus the like other group of people with the hairdresser video and stuff like I thought they were good counterpoints to each other like one is safe or something from your like critical eye (laughs) yeah I mean I just like don't even trust my own like I just am so grossed out by hypocrisy. So I don't even trust my own vibe on what that is sometimes. So I just want to call into question all the things that we take as being safe spaces. Like even just like the Karen is like really terribly done. It's like, uh, you know, someone said it was white face. It's white face, but she's like wearing a mask of literally like flour and like shortening cornstarch that I just whipped up is to be the white face. It's like really gruesome. When you watch the video, it's like, there's just like flakes of flour kind of coming off of my face the whole time where I'm speaking in this like, like really stereotypical Karen kind of affect talking about like 
the injustices of working in a workplace where like people don't understand her, like, you know, her vulnerability. Yeah. And, and I, and it's, and I hope it's not just mocking because I try always to balance out all the viewpoints in these things. So like when I'm like this enraged, like, um, person of color in space in the art world with like this chicken hanging around my neck, hurling it at people and like wigging out on them that like, there's something about that that is more just humanizing about all the subject positions, you know, like we kind of are forced to play these parts and we don't know why. I guess the why is like that we're all like flattened out by screens and this mediated perception of who we are. And um, like, and it's very edited, like that's a very edited way of being. And like, there's, I don't think it's hopeless because I don't think we can't live outside of that, but it does seem like that's like the overarching structure of like reality right now. Mm -hmm. And it's scary because the masters of that are these like dumb tech bros that think they can do no wrong as long as they're making money and not being shut down by governments that at times have like more permissive or more like chiding, like, like moralizing, faux moralizing regimes, like back and forth. And, and it seems like there's no real logic to that. You know, there's no real logic to who is being called the correct gatekeeper. And so where are we in that? Like, where is the space for learning? Where is the space for understanding who we are in relation to one another? You know? Totally. And it becomes, yeah, like, I feel like, I guess the thing I've been thinking about, and I feel like your show kind of brings it up somewhat too, is like, there's a rat war happening, I feel like, between, like, people who work on screens or can work on screens and people that can't and stuff and and kind of I feel like it's kind of like a mind body divide and and I feel like I don't know and your work has always been really physical like I feel like you use your body really explicitly and kind of get into the physical and and there's this tension I think in the show between like really invoking physicality and then the flattening of the screen or the separation of the screen or like the isolation of the screen. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I pitched that show a year ago before we knew we'd all be bunkered down and in quarantine. I, but I always thought it was going to be a show about like Kim Jong-un in a bunker and what he would experience of the world outside if he was bunkered down. Mm. It was just like, I just sort of actually projecting that future and I didn't realize we would all be in that future together. And so the show got pushed back, of course, like a year because of COVID. And then when it finally happened, I was like, it's strange that this forecast, something that we all had this universal experience of that we all actually ended up watching each other eat on zoom. And we did like, you know, inadvertent mukbang, um, which before that was like just some like obscure, like, internet meme thing that like kids who are savvy to screens knew about you know (laughs) that came from South Korea you know ultimately but like and then also that like in all of this that like South Korea would be held up as like an exemplar of like the correct way to deal with an outbreak you know Mm. um that none of that ever even occurred to me as a possibility at the moment 
where I thought of making this work. And then when it happened, it kind of evolved my practice and my process because I had to sort of absorb like the parts of me that were Korean and the parts of me that were American. And then I tried to just sort of output what triangulating all those feelings were. And I guess ultimately it's a sort of ambivalence to all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's not, but also about just sort of the economy of visibility, you know, like just like what is shown and what voices are heard are the ones that sound the most like right for now. That also seems like very oppressive in a way that makes me think of North Korea, like mm-hmm. that makes North Korea some sort of like strange platonic ideal of where one person can just sort of define the agenda and the politics of like everybody in the country. Like, you know, I feel like liberals in America would like it if everybody was just like, everyone should be gay married and, you know, and we should have universal health care and like everyone should have $15 minimum wage. And it would be so great if we just like all like loved our black neighbors and never let police hurt anybody. But it's like, it's also like there's just like 50 percent of the country that gives no fucks about any of those things and they will never understand Mm. i mean i don't i feel like well you bring up so many things i i mean i think my feeling has changed about how people I think well that's what I'm talking about kind of the class divide or something like or even maybe it's just cultural like like I feel like I don't actually I mean I think there is a lot of racism obviously but I think maybe a lot of it comes from like disenfranchisement like an ignorant kind of misplacing of that of what to do with that sense of disenfranchisement and like kind of like you know there's like the whole deplorables thing and this obvious contempt that that many liberals have for like people that have different lives than them and and I think that actually people often do get along with each other they maybe just don't want to be forced to like talk about it or in a certain way or maybe present it in a certain way I don't know I mean I I'm kind of talking theoretically but I feel like it's that's what I mean like a kind of mind-body difference or the mind-body divide like I feel like maybe a lot of people are just not you know from this academic point of view where they're wanting to yeah, talk about it in the same way or something, but maybe it doesn't mean that they don't care. Yeah, I think the class thing is, for me, the thing that we we can't really ever address directly because the people who have the means to have, you know, microphones or outlets in which to speak are already basically privileged people who know how to access media in a really special way that other, that many people don't have. Mm -hmm. So that does freak me out. I mean, that's why I do have this character of this barber in like the South, let's say, or like whatever version of the South is like a fantasy where you're like disenfranchised. You're like 10 minutes behind everybody else in terms of like what's going on, because like you can't afford an iPhone. You have Mm -hmm. an 
Android phone, it's fine. It's a smartphone, but it doesn't do all the things and doesn't plug you in the same way as everything else. And because you're on this other network, you're you're not in the same discourse as everyone else, you know? Yeah. And, and maybe that's not even a bad thing. Like I I mean, like maybe I feel like like I want to stay connected to my body and physical like I want to live in a physical world you know not on a screen and stuff yeah I mean I think that like I don't know the reason I make some some of the work I make is that I've just never had the privilege of being a polite artist because I just don't present that way like I've got like a messy body I've got boobs and like curves and like I come from a family of people who are like bizarrely curvy and like don't fit into like a normal like idea of like what it is to be sort of like a like a like a little submissive petite Asian female. Not that that's even really a thing, but that's such an idea that people have that like if you don't fit into that sort of shape, like people don't know what to do with you. You have no legibility. You have no visibility. It's strange. Mm. It's like you're like a different race to people I don't know do you feel like um, you feel like that's a kind of um false like that that people expect you to be that way I just I just wish I could just like get around in an art show opening with like a cropped haircut and like weird <laughs> crop pants and like a comme des garçon top that's unflattering that's like uh-huh like billowing over my slim physique while I sort of like sort of quizzically throw out like haiku like things about the world that are like open for interpretation that's like wish I, what I wish I could do I'd like aspire to be that but I'm just so not that I'm just like very embodied in the world I'm like soil and I'm I'm like not even just soil I'm like queen soil it's like something that's like half like asphalt and half like Gowanus canal canal water it's just like not even like good things it's like very polluted and strange and I'm just trying to live like I'm like a weed that is in cracks of like the sidewalk next to Newtown Creek it's like I literally grew up like blocks from Newtown Creek so I like really my show is in like that weird part of Bushwick that's like nowhere like it's not it's like just really nowhere and I grew up like a mile from there and it just Mm -hmm. all seems so familiar it just feels like there's no sky even though you can see the empire skate building from like a hill in maspeth like that i would walk to every day to chain smoke cigarettes when i was like an angsty teen like there's no sky there's no horizon and like you just just see all the same people like all the time and everyone wonders like why you're not at the same high school as them and they're like oh my god like I remember when, as, as a high school kid people would see me and they'd be like yo why don't you go to like St. Adelbert's I'm like because I go to school in the city they're like oh my god you go to school in the city like aren't there fags there and I'm like really? yeah like <laughs> <laughs> like it's really it's funny because like it's New York City but it's still really like um cloistered like people like have their own little lanes like in queens like uh, like where my parents still live where i grew up is still very trumpy Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who work union jobs like their department of sanitation their fdny their nypd and they're just like blue lives matter all the way you know yeah so so yeah let's talk about queens a little more like (laughs) (laughs) okay anytime (laughs) 
So, yeah, you grew up in Masbeth. Where, mm-hmm. um, what was this school that you went to in the city? Was it like an arts high school? Well, I tested into a specialized high school in, in sixth grade. So I went to Hunter College High School from seventh through 12th grade. So I like was commuting to the city mm-hmm. um, from like 12 to 18. And then, you know, but it was strange because like, everyone else I knew was just in like Catholic or public schools and that whole system was crazy in New York like you just test in you apply to like your junior high school and your high school and um I don't know I was lucky I guess I got out and this high school I went to was like very progressive and like emphasize the arts and all this stuff and you know I was like nominated the beat like the token beat poet kind of of my high school I was like invited into English classes to play like to like recite howl from memory while this like stoner I knew played bongos <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah. was that your earliest like performance kind of vibe <laughs> Yeah, yeah, actually. Right. <laughs> I, I was a, like, I had a heavy beat generation phase in high school, also. You did? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't performing poetry, but I was like, I had the beat generation box set and I was like reading Jack Kerouac and stuff like that. <laughs> I thought it was like mind blowingly profound because I just like, it was like my gateway into thinking about people who are not normative and yeah. who made art. And it seemed, kind of contemporary in a strange way you know it seemed urban and like something I could access yeah totally and there was like a healthy culture of that around me you know the New York New York Week and Poets Cafe was like really in effect and I would like sneak out to go to the New York and Poets Cafe late at night and like hang out there and just like you know go to shows and like this was like when Giuliani like became mayor and like started trying to bust down on the nightlife in New York but Mm -hmm. at that point like from 13 to 18 I could get into any club I wanted with like literally a thing that I sharpie markered on my like year of birth (laughs) and I would just present it to people I was like yeah I was born in like 1972 (laughs) try me that's funny I mean so was your I feel like I have a um I have a like, like I I have a heart. I haven't watched Kids since it came out, but I felt like when I saw Kids, like I felt like that's how I felt. Except for up in upstate New York, was did you was your like teen years a bit like that? Movie? Yeah, like yeah. kids, kids. I was was friends with went to the casting call for Kids, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Um, some of them were extras in it. None of them were actually cast as the main characters, but it was like a very recognizable space for yeah. me. I mean, it's really romanticized. I mean, I love Larry Clark. I think he's like a brilliant photographer and whatever. And Harmony Corinne is like a hysterical twat of the <laughs> world that I appreciate existing. Yeah. But like, yeah, Kids was very... I don't know like it is very emblematic of the time I grew up in New York and how like basically like if you were like a like a raver or a skater or a punk or whatever you kind of all end up in Washington Square Park in like a stew Mm -hmm. and goths goths existed I really didn't like goths but they were always around what was did you have like a genre that you um like 
associated with or were you more free form? I think I was uh, the like I think I felt more true to myself as a raver because I like liked wearing colorful things and I liked like making outfits for myself that were more colorful like the punks were just too restrictive Mm-hmm. Like, I just felt like they were too angry all the time. And I was like, I don't feel like there's, I mean, I'm angry, but I don't want to be angry about everything all the time. And like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I feel like I just want to mention, like, I, I do feel like you have a good, like, handle on using your anger and your work somehow, or like, it feels like maybe... I feel like you're comfortable with your anger, which is a quality I admire in women. Yeah. I mean, I think I have to be because I'm really afraid of becoming both a misinterest and a misogynist, you know, like I wanted to sort of like keep it on the level. Like there's enough to be angry about, like that's outside of just like um, gender roles, you know, and also like actual violence is horrifying and not productive. Yeah. But but like in terms of like the way I work, I try to sort of acknowledge that that's real and then just sort of, I mean, actually just occupy the opposite space, like the person that I blame. Mm-hmm. I want to I always sort of see through the eyes of the person I blame for my misery. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of always a starting place for me in terms of making work. Like, but it's, it's, it's really difficult when it's things that are like, not cool like (laughs) like like liberalism (laughs) like in terms of like you know like I I find it super confusing that people I know who are like well Antifa like and then you know things have shifted now they're like upset like AOC is not like awesome or like Bernie isn't like coming to the rescue like I'm like, but politicians are always shitbags. Like, why do you think that they're like good, like, like quant people that you should rest your hopes on ever? Like, yes, that's where I'm at. I'm like, these are, they're all terrible and we shouldn't be like aggrandizing them. Like, why are people disheartened about like Biden? Like, we all knew Biden was a joke when he got elected. It's fine. Like, yeah. But I feel like a lot of people were acting like he's not, like they loved him or something, you know? And I was very confused by that. I don't know too many young people who loved him. I think they were like, this is the compromise we're making so that we can like get someone who's not Trump into office. Maybe they didn't love him, but they were super excited. And I was like, I was just like, I feel like I've been like um, blackpilled or something. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, I was just kind of like, I don't know. Like I wrote in Marianne Williamson, which is like a. <laughs> you did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know even know if she would be better either. But I was like, I couldn't bring myself to vote for Biden, even though it was like a symbolic gesture to write someone in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in New York, it's really silly. My parents are both like, they all want, but both of my parents wanted Biden to win, and it was like even though he wasn't on like the top of the ticket, they like wrote him in. I was like, that's right. <laughs> cool. I mean, it's cool. Whatever. In New York, it's fake news. Like we're all just gonna, it's gonna be a democratic yeah. voting state. It's a blue state, oh, yeah. but, but uh, yeah, I just think it's funny that we all still put hope in people. Like yeah. that's, I guess, part of my, like part of my show and the ambivalence towards like individual subjectivity. Like we're all, 
Like we all come to a place that we're presenting ourselves through different means and they're all compromised. It's like, we all made a series of compromises to get to like our ideals. And like, I don't, I don't, when you become a public figure that's like lionized, you're just like, you're screwed. I was reading this interview with um, Sasha Baron Cohen Mm -hmm. about how he missed the early days of his like low grade fame where he could go to his openings um he would go dressed as Borat to an LEG opening and no one recognized him and they'd be like you're disgusting you stink get out of the way we want to see LEG (laughs) and and how he misses that because Mm -hmm. there's something about there's something about the freedom of 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 speaking to power from a place of nowhere like yeah and, and nothing and then the second you become a sort of easily identifiable figurehead there's nowhere for you to go except for you to like tow some sort of like constant persona yeah. that isn't isn't reflective of reality like there's no way you as this, as a person is like consistently this thing you know yeah and like out of this time like i know people who had to like dip out of activism because they just like couldn't square the circle of who they were and like how things evolved past where they started you know, Mm -hmm. even though they were radical at some point, things came to a place where people wanted to dox them for being like anti something that mattered anti-black or anti-trans or something like that target shifts so quickly. Right. And it's like a function of our neoliberal state that like, we're like operating in scarcity and like, no one wants to admit that it's all just like, we're just like trading generations in three-year intervals versus like eight-year intervals now, you know? Yeah. Like everyone wants to adjunct after their MFA, but like there's people who've been holding that down for like five to six years suffering more like, and like the best they got is like, oh, they're like, they don't get trans identity or they don't get this identity. And like, you're fucked, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's scary. It's scary. And I think it has to do with like a very specific economic development and it doesn't reflect real politics real politics evolves like in a really slow scale yeah and I I I just I guess I for me I guess I'm like doing that it's like it's not cute it's like (laughs) you're like talking through characters and trying to sort of evolve who they are so that they're legible so they don't just get sucked into some sort of caricature even though I'm doing caricatures like I feel like because I'm presenting all these caricatures that are like it at odds with one another it does create a certain strange disorienting feeling that yeah. I put them all in the same plane I mean that's my hope that's yeah. my hope no definitely I think it comes through yeah and it like I like this analogy of the wizard of Oz too and <laughs> like I feel I feel that kind of feeling when I look at the the video where Kim is like looking out the window and kind of like I don't know, just kind of milling around by himself. There's this kind of deflated quality, but and if, and the fact that you play all the characters too, I do think kind of it. I don't know. I was thinking about like the Gustin show and like how he made all these self portraits as like a Klansman and stuff, and like. And that was trying to be canceled. But I feel like like he was trying to like look at himself and like 
see the, you know, evil within or whatever. Like he, I think that's, well, I think it's also a metaphor. Like it's not just like a literal thing about racism. I think that's part of the work, but it's like also about like, yeah, maybe somehow it's maybe about your inner tyrant or your inner dictator or something. And like your inner Karen or you know what I mean like it feels like you're um implicating yourself in some way yeah yeah I think that's like I don't know I think that's the only way to be ethical right like you have to sort of like switch subject positions I mean I think that's like the one place where not being white helps me out is that Mm -hmm. I just not not just not being white but also not being black which is that I'm like it's hard to pin down where I lie in between those two very strong binaries that we've set up, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like who has the right to speak and who is disempowered and who is disenfranchised. There's like, there's a lot of people in between that, that, that benefit from white hegemony and who don't. And, and then when things shift economically, globally, like suddenly Asians now visible identity because of that, right? Because like China's doing great now. They've rebounded because they've controlled the coronavirus. And there's a resentment about that. Like yeah. average folks here are really suffering. Like, yeah. uh, I, like as I mean, my family and I own a business. We're really suffering. It sucks. Like everything is terrible. I don't understand who's benefiting from the roaring stock market and like all these numbers that were presented as like things are going great, you know? Yeah. And like, even like outside of New York city, which is such a precious bubble. Like I feel like people have just been going about their business normally. Like they're just acting like this never happened. They've been proceeding like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Back to usual, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, April of last year, uh, my boyfriend and I went on a road trip to Ohio. Our plan was to sort of like track coronavirus as it was like moving across the country, like not just coronavirus, but like the shutdowns related to it, mm-hmm. because it actually was like a slow rollout across the country. Yeah. So we were driving like half of Pennsylvania, which is like basically giant states, like a seven hour drive through Pennsylvania from east to west half of it was in the red zone where they like were quarantining down and like things were locked down the other half was like fine they were open and then we got to Ohio and it was surreal like everyone was like on the radio going come to the fun fair eat funnel cake and have cotton candy with your whole family and like we went to this flea market in Youngstown Ohio where like all these people in MAGA hats were like just like confused we were wearing masks and then the other half were like we're selling masks or like dead or gone like literally like closed for the season Mm. in a place where clearly they like were always doing business and I was like wow it's it was interesting to see with my own eyes that like it was so um politically um bent the way you perceive this to be a real threat yeah I feel like it was immediately very politicized kind of and that was very strange too because it felt like I mean it, I felt very isolated and I felt like I didn't know how I felt like there was I felt as though like 
when you look at the news, like you could only have one viewpoint about it kind of also that was like permissible or something. Right. But it also depended on like what news you were watching. Yeah. Yeah, So like at that time, like I remember we watched Fox really religiously to just track like Mm -hmm. what was going on. And it was so insane. It was just like Trump in front of a green screen of like boxes of things like PPE or like supplies that he was sending out to states he's like everything's under control we've got lots of stuff in our warehouses ready to send out wherever they need to get sent out and that never really happened like it turned out that like jared kushner was like sitting on the federal stockpile and like not sending it anywhere Mm -hmm. and that it was like very politically motivated where those things were distributed Mm -hmm. but like you know and then they also like considered it like a conspiracy a liberal conspiracy all of this in general that like it wasn't real so it was like all of this stuff that was like paradoxical that you had to absorb in your brain like and i i'm glad i i did that but yeah. it's strange that like you know i mean people our age we don't get news from these like networks that like are so singular but we do get news from social media which is also like um it's also just very much streamlined to our tastes and like our social environments so then we don't see what the other side is seeing exactly and that that blindness that myopia like I just kind of wanted to sort of like blow away with the show like just Mm -hmm. in terms of like this other thing this like other standpoint of this like strange dictator that we see like it's like very racialized like I think that Kim Jong-un is considered goofy because there's a there's like a devaluation of male Asian identity that wants to make him like effeminate or like awkward or something but he's actually someone who's in charge of like so many people's lives in a very direct way Mm-hmm. and also the crazy thing about that is in this place that has literally no freedom which is north korea they've had no coronavirus like they've effectively blocked it out because it's so isolated like mm-hmm. and there's a paradox to that like we in all our freedom like have decided like some people care some people believe but they're like they just made that decision that like it's not going to enter their society so they've closed all the borders they've like basically like starved all the diplomatic people from outside out like they are all fleeing and it's just become a completely closed off society that is safe so safety is like being closed off and freedom is being exposed (laughs) in this crazy way yeah it's all very like existential like I mean I think it's also like, what are you, what do you want to be protected from? You know, like, I think some people were more afraid of not being able to feed themselves than of the virus. So that's what's more real to them. Yeah. And people are legitimately starving. Like I take the subway pretty much every day. I've taken the subway every day for like the last seven months. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people have not had to do that. And the thing that I, become really aware of is how incredibly horrible homelessness is and that our city has done nothing about it it's like it's really yeah it's really palpable how quickly I mean it's like there's some figure about now like 
I don't know, something like 50% of people were already kind of like living paycheck to paycheck or, or worse than that before this. So a lot of people like, yeah, to go from bad to worse is like pretty catastrophic. Yeah. And it's hard to say, like, people want to ascribe this like anti-Asian thing to like something super simple, like like there's white bad white people but like it's not that it's literally that there's like a lot of people who are so disenfranchised yeah. and they know that there's this virus that they think came from China that like has ruined their lives and they're also mentally ill and so they're basically like trying to put things together all the time in like a very scattered way to make a coherent worldview when they don't have resources so like if like a homeless you know, person of color like comes up to me and is menacing to me because I'm Asian. Like, I don't know whether it's because they hate Asians or because they've just like been so screwed by the system that like, that's all they got, you know, they're just in rage and there's nowhere for them to go. And I think like the fact that like, there's just absolutely no social welfare network to address that has like really exacerbated everything to some crazy extent. Like the, the one guy who killed all the people in Chinatown was just like a crazy homeless guy who was killing Aww. homeless people. And, 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 and there was another, another, the recent one that was like happened near, um, what's it called? Um, the, the tombs, like the central booking place where people get, you know, taken in. My friend got taken in there for hopping a turnstile and she's like the whitest person I know, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, like a block from like the police department, like central command, like someone got stabbed with like a giant knife and they were Asian. And, and the guy who stabbed that person was just sort of like, I don't know, I guess I killed them, eh, whatever. But I don't know if that was like a targeted hate crime or it just happened that like they were there and they were in, close to Chinatown and that's, that's the person they found to kill. You know, it's very ambiguous. Like, yeah. Totally. And I think that's, yeah, it's confusing in that way. Like, I don't, not that there shouldn't be activism around it, but what will, what will activism do for the mentally ill? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, what do we, I mean, also like, I'm like, what is this activism? The reason I feel ambivalence is like, so it's basically like everyone has to be a Karen and be like, oh my God, no no don't hurt that asian person it's not um their fault there's a virus here because like there's no i mean who who's supposed to come to your aid in that scenario like we've already decided the police are useless they are we we know that they don't help with anything they're they are fundamentally biased towards like um imprisoning people of color we know that it's like imprisoning or killing them mm -hmm. and Asian people are just this other like strange like casualty of like friendly fire it's like what what are you supposed to do with that I don't I don't really know it makes and, me feel really dark <laughs> it makes me yeah. very and like, you said before it's like, like Asian Americans are not one like hegemonic community either. Like there's many different. Yeah, it's not a monolithic thing. Like there's such a range. Like there's in question, like if South Asians, like if you're a brown Asian or a not brown Asian, like, you know, if I can be mistaken, I can be mistaken for a Chinese person. I'm a pretty light skinned Asian 
Korean American person. So I've been, I mean, also like if you're dealing with people who don't care about the nuances, you're just Chinese to everyone, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's strange. Like you want people to come to your aid or be your ally. And then like, you know, things I've heard from people I know who are activists are like, oh yeah, like people from BLM, not like real people from like, not the organizers, but there are people who've been involved with BLM who are like, when BLM was happening, we didn't feel like an alliance from Asians. Like where were they? Oh, so now they're being targeted and now we should be, you know, um, galvanized to help them. Well, where were they? Yeah. I don't know. We probably were in there, but there, we were like 9% of the crowd you know, mm-hmm. versus everyone else. Maybe we didn't have visibility in that moment. I, I guess not, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I feel like there would be more power too from just, I don't know. It's very complicated. I think the more you talk and think about it, the more complicated it is. Like, like African Americans are not one hegemonic group either. Sure. Yeah. yeah, people who are from Africa or who, people who are Caribbean, Afro-Caribbean, don't feel the same experience as African Americans who are the recipients of the legacy of slavery. Yeah, exactly. And and within that too, there's like a whole range of different like economic positions and stuff too, and like and educational levels and like, I don't know, like it would be nice if there could, I just watched this, um, I went, I watched this movie, um, Judas and the Black Messiah last night. And it mm-hmm. was like, um, it's about uh, Fred Hampton who was in the Black Panthers and was killed mm-hmm. by the FBI. And um, there's this part where he starts to kind of like team up with other groups, like kind of like these white people and these like Latino people. And he's trying to like kind of form a coalition of like, basically we're all kind of in the same position and we'll have more power by kind of joining together against the powers that be rather than being kind of divisive. And I feel like it would be nice to if, if like I feel like the bigger divide to me is kind of like like between the like elites and the like non-elites or something in a way or and like you know I don't yeah know. I, I mean I agree with you on that score I mean but the elites are just like you know maybe 10% of the population and there's literally everybody else fighting for visibility and access to like really small means. And that's, what's so troubling. It's like, there's no, I don't know. I just haven't seen very meaningful ways of buoying like middle-class people that I care about, you know, like that seems real. Like, I'm like, when am I going to get, I didn't get any of the stimulus, man. I didn't get the $1,200. I didn't get $600. Like, I'm still waiting on that shit. I'm like, I filed my taxes super early to get that shit. I'm like, I make way under the threshold. Can I get it? And it's so broken. Well, yeah, it's totally broken also. And then like, I mean, then Biden totally lied about sending out the checks immediately and stuff. Like, it's like, 
I don't know. I I'm I don't have any answers yet, but I do know that I don't trust these people anymore and I <laughs> I feel like we can't wait for them to save us or something or I don't know. I don't I don't have a I don't have an answer yet, but I have felt this kind of like awakening about that in some way. Yeah, I just knew when I didn't get the stimulus last year and I'd spent six months checking my get my payment gateway on the IRS site that I wasn't going to get this one either. I was like, this is crazy. I'm like, yeah. And that's when I like actually joined Reddit in earnest because I like have been resisting Reddit because I was like, I can't do Reddit. This is like something that turns you into some kind of like crazy tech, tech acolyte. Like, where you believe that this, like, forum of anonymous people have, like, a genuine voice. I mean, I know a lot of people have gotten things on Reddit. Like, they've invested at the right times. They, like, rode that GameStop surge really well. Mm -hmm. But I was, like, whether or not all of this is true, I value my personal freedom more than being indentured to this system like of like getting updated on what is like the right thing to do at the right time like because a group of people have decided to do this people I don't know that I don't know that I share similar political aims with are creating these movements and I get I guess that's that's what's frightening to me I'm like okay yeah oh the little guy finally won over like big finance yay mm-hmm. <laughs> like but it also meant that like you had to have a buy-in at some point and like get in on the reddit thing and all of this stuff that i wasn't party to really until it was sort of close to ending because right. that's when finally the media caught on they were like oh there's this whole thing that's happening on social media mm-hmm. you know and i'm like well how do you even get like vaccinated like this is crazy like all these things where we are now just like like everything's like a whisper campaign like you have to get in on the right time of these whisper campaigns to benefit from it and then it just it just propagates this conspiratorial nature of information dissemination that feels really toxic right like like everything has to be a conspiracy that you're on the ground floor of that you're seeing through and i'm like that is so fucked like me, there's no way to win. Like you'll just always be treading water and barely like able not to drown because you're not in on this first wave of knowledge that's like based on insider information that's like tech mediated. That's crazy. It's really crazy. And yeah, I mean, that's I think why I wanted to get off social media period and just like be... In a human yeah <laughs> um but i'm not i mean i feel like in this <laughs> weird limbo space i'm like it feels like necessary maybe that's not true maybe that's my cope or something but i don't know uh, um right now it's funny how they all have different like like reddit seems the most like based or something like in that it's totally anonymous and people can be maybe their most unfiltered or raw or something and I feel like Instagram's like the opposite end of the spectrum it's all about like appearance and like 
presenting this like kind of idealized image of oneself? Yeah, I'm like right now, full disclosure, trying to mint some NFTs, um, which are Wait, like what's an NFT. Oh my god. Okay, so I'm gonna try to explain this, but it's gonna be in the dumbest way possible. So okay. just bear with me. So okay. NFTs are non fungible tokens. So oh. Okay, I've heard this term, but I don't know what it means. I'm sure you've heard this term because literally it's like the front lines of where the art world is being forced to go because of like the tech influence and where like money right. is siphoned out to. Mm -hmm. So it's cool in theory, which is that like you can turn your original content, whoever you are, into a blockchain basically so you make it into something that is um something digital like a jpeg or a gif or something mm -hmm. into something that like exists in servers somewhere that are like burning up the same amount of like fossil fuels as like a jet plane ride to basel switzerland you know and this entitles you to sell like let's say like you could do like a single piece or like an addition of five and sell it to like randos in the world who have ethereum or mm -hmm. bitcoins like they right. have cryptocurrency it's traded in cryptocurrency oh, you can only buy it in cryptocurrency yeah but it depends on the platform now there are platforms where you can buy things with a credit card that like converts it to cryptocurrencies but essentially it's all in this crypto world because the medium itself is in crypto world. So it's all in this blockchain universe. So like if you go on like Clubhouse or all these like new media, social media outlets, like that's all people talk about because that's pretty much why I think social media exists is so that people can fi quickly figure out what the next gold rush is. Right. And it seems like, very like yeah i mean i haven't been on clubhouse but it seems very organized around like the market or something like maybe also like activism or wokeness or something i don't know i'm just like it's it's based around like faux experts and the market yeah in general like it's like very strange it's like a, a podcast radio network for insiders that have decided they're insiders so are you in it um, I was given an invite and I took it and then I immediately was like, oh, get, oh boy, I better start an NFT because I'm like, uh, like I'm like a financially precarious performance artist that has no hope of gallery representation because of what I do. So I might as well just like try to have some direct to consumer version of my practice. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a cool I don't know. Also, don't sell yourself short. Marina Abramovic really monetized that. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, there's so many different ways, but I'm like, I don't know if I really want to like be in a codependent relationship with a gallery. Yeah. You know? That's, That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting to decide to choose to opt out of that. Like with with the NFT, I was just remembering someone was telling me about this and I was like, oh, okay. Like, so if you sell like a JPEG or a GIF or whatever, I'm like probably saying it like a boomer, but um, do they own all the rights to it? Could they like make some mug with it on it or whatever? Or would you still own the rights to your image? I think you still own the rights, but the compelling thing about it is that you designate what percentage of the future resale proceeds go back to you. 
So mm-hmm. if that person flips it for like more money, you get like you set whether it's 10% or 20% or whatever into the future. Okay. So, so it kind what, of like what would well go ahead. Sorry. No, no. So it's cool because it kind of like subverts the whole galleries and auction house system because like you as the primary creator still get profits from it into the future, what? no matter who it belongs to. And yeah. what kind of like, do you feel like, what kind of imagery would you create for this? Would it be similar to something that you would make for like a physical space? Or do you feel like you would think about it some totally different way? Yeah, I, I'm not totally sure yet what I'm going to do with this, but I love being an early adopter and early quitter of everything. So <laughs> like um, I joined Twitter like in 2000 eight or nine whenever it started and then I basically quit in 2011 Mm -hmm. but like (laughs) but like my feeling about it is like I just like to know what's happening and cause chaos when I can and then it becomes very regulated and like normalized I like to be out of it Mm -hmm. but NFT thing is compelling because like it 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 rests around this aesthetic of collectability that's strange like it is about like, it's based, I feel like this is my read is that it's based on like streetwear drops. Mm-hmm. Like people do drops where they're like, oh, there's only going to be like, like 20 things that you can buy three of each of. So like, if you don't get it now, you'll, no one will get it, you know? Oh, interesting. I was just remembering that you were also the first person that ever told me about Patreon. And I was like, what? That's weird. Like, why would I do that? Wait, that's so funny because I feel like I'm like the most Patreon averse person you'll ever meet. I'm like, I don't like this thing that compels me to create regularly. Yeah. (laughs) That's what what I didn't understand. Like when you described to me, I thought it would be like, oh, I would make like Instagram videos, but you would have to pay for them or whatever. Yeah. Now it's like, I think maybe I will put my podcast on Patreon at some point because people are like actually making livings off of it and stuff. But yeah, I'm just resentful of all of this because I feel like when I was in my 20s, every person and their mother was like, you should be on the real world. You should be on a reality (laughs) TV show. You have a very compelling personality. And I'd be like, great like great so that like mtv can monetize me great like i don't feel like i have any control right so so this medium nft thing makes me feel like maybe it's out like you still have primacy as the creator to sort of dictate your pricing model and like what happens with your creative output and you can sort of also it doesn't have to be directly correlated to your identity like it's all these people who are like I mean, that's a little bit of the ideology about it that creeps me out. It's like, oh, these are people who didn't go to art school who are like making art and like selling it direct to consumers in this specific way. I'm like, who is the market and who are the consumers that have Bitcoins and Ethereum to like buy these things with? Like, who are you actually like feeding with your output? Yeah. And what do they want? Like in terms of content or, you know, I don't know. I have a lot of questions. Um. Would you would you see yourself making like a video or more like an image? I was thinking GIFs, mm-hmm. but yeah, like, I don't know. I'm not like very skilled as a photographer and I, I don't understand, like it costs money to sort of 
mint these things into NFTs. So basically you take like your JPEG and you mint it onto a platform, which means you turn into like blockchain basically. Mm -hmm. And that costs money and it's not cheap any, it's not cheap at all because those cryptocurrencies that it's priced on are so expensive. Like I think like one Bitcoin is like $50,000 and one Ethereum is like $1,500 right now. And it's like that like changes with market forces or whatever, because it's a currency and it's very speculative and like Elon Musk is putting all this money into it. So yeah. In that sense, we don't have very much control over the pricing and these platforms exist so that you can have any voice at all. But ultimately like you are sort of dictating what the context is because it's like, it's a very open field right now. Cause like no single like, blue chip art gallery has decided like I am the blue chip art gallery on blue chip platform you know right are there even any like um entities like that like a gallery or a curator or something is that does that exist yet in that world um not not yet I think but there are like platforms that are pickier than others that Mm -hmm. like have like some annoying application process where you have to like give them their social media handles and they scrub it to see how much of an influence you are Mm. like see like what you're how much you could actually return for them I mean it's confusing I'm just figuring all this stuff out now I don't even know if I wanted to do it I don't know if it's like too icky it's it might be too icky I don't know I mean I I would be curious to see what you would do with it um I mean I feel like I'm going the opposite direction or something. Like, I'm like, I just want to paint and make, I don't know. It's weirdly, it really seems like radical to me to make objects and paintings, like for some reason, maybe radical is the wrong word, but somehow like when I deciding to stop making video and performance felt and just focus on one thing felt like weirdly radical to me. But, like, I wanted to talk about, yeah, how you started to perform and also your, you were, a, you did have a background in painting and you, I feel like maybe you also were, are doing more like painting and printmaking more recently too. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I started, um, I've, I've always made paintings and prints and, and things and that's how I got into performance basically is that I just was making these abstract paintings that had different like physical restraints that I thought were creating an order or a meaning and then I was like uh maybe I don't need these um props or these not props but like byproducts of that Mm -hmm. um and so when I got to grad school at Hunter, which was like at that time, very like formal painting oriented, mm-hmm. I just felt like completely confused. Cause I just didn't feel like, I felt like an imposter. I was like, I don't know if I'm just like an abstract painter who wants to do this thing. And so that's when I started performing. Um, 
but I, I see a value also. I agree, Jen, in that, like, I think that making things and leaving your individual imprint on things is very significant. And I think it is radical. And I think it's a good counterpoint to like these fast times of like disposable images we live in, yeah. you know? Yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of how I feel. Like, yeah, like because everything is so online and like tech and all this stuff, I'm like, I want to like somehow physicality and sensuality feels like radical to me. Yeah, I mean, it's really embarrassing because I still think like my favorite works of art are like Morandi's. Mm-hmm. It's so embarrassing. That's like an embarrassing thing to say as someone who performs. It's like, I like this thing that's about like a man observing like a set of like 25 objects like in their different uh, lifetimes of casting shadows and light in a space. But like truly, like I feel like that examination of materiality is like one of the more rewarding things I can observe. And yeah. I love it. Like, I just, I think it's, like, so gorgeous and so profound and primitive. Like, the fact, that like, the first artworks that we can um, find in the world or cave paintings is yeah. strange. Like, there's something very primal about that that's, like, musical. And musical? Music, yeah, like, music is, like, clearly the other thing that's, like, just, like... Mm -hmm was an art form that like we don't have any trace of from those times like mm -hmm. I'm sure those people made like vocal arrangements that were meaningful to them or like banged bones while yeah. they were doing things that were ceremonial mm -hmm. because there's nothing that creates like a group um architecture like the sound sound is like universal you can create yeah. it and yeah, so I think about these things and I, I wonder like what technology has in store for us in terms of recreating that. And I guess maybe things like Clubhouse are useful because it's like very pared down. It's just like people's voices in space. Yeah. Things. But I mean, like part of the part of the sort of paradox of like early adopting is that you have to sort of also negotiate what that means in terms of your own shitty like old school worldview of like how the world should work you know so I try to leave that open as much as possible like the last thing like I, I am such a boomer in so many ways like I don't have the current Adobe suite anytime I have to open anything that's a PSD file like I have to like beg someone for a favor like <laughs> and it's like really silly but like I think it's important to be on top of these things because like eventually that just becomes the culture and you can't just be swallowed behind and like be stuck in your like lane of like what you think is correct. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, like there's to me, like really something important about being ethical, like navigating what ethics are all the time. Yeah. Even if you know you're not ethical, like I basically so convinced that I should be canceled every second of the day, but I try very earnestly to engage with the things I don't understand like mm -hmm. all the time. And, uh, and that's all I can do. Like, that's all anyone can do. I don't yeah. understand any other way of being like, I operate under the sphere that I'm going to be canceled when people realize like I haven't figured it out and haven't presented like a fully formed version of myself, mm -hmm. but like, how, like that's why I'm not an academic because I feel like if you're an academic you constantly have to like present that as like your final format right 
to people. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess maybe it, de- I mean, I'm an academic, but an adjunct, so I don't really feel like I do, although it's, I don't know, it's a changing culture and it does feel like there is more and more a sense of like very small parameters that you must kind of thread yourself through or something. I don't know. I mean, it, it hasn't really come up in my own teaching, but I feel I definitely have felt afraid of being canceled too or something, you know. I'm surprised that you feel that way though. Actually, somehow I feel like you would not be susceptible to that fear or something. Oh no. Oh no. I am I I I I'm like I I recognize every reactionary mechanism in my being. I'm like a bug in the bottom of a jar with a flame under it. And like that's like how I feel every day. And I'm like I have to remember I have wings and I can fly out of the jar. Like, it's not that like I'm stuck in the jar. There's like a jar, there's a flame. These are all true things, but I can fly, like I can get out, but it's tough. Like, I just think it's really tough because we all get sort of stuck. I think it's just this like acceleration of generations. Like I really want to believe that there's a, like if we actually had true like economic, prosperity and redistribution of wealth like it wouldn't be like this but because we've been operating under this like technological fascism Mm -hmm. we all feel compelled to evolve in a rate that we can't like there's no way yeah I agree totally I mean I yeah it would be interesting I mean it's only kind of it's hard I don't maybe that's I don't know if that will ever happen, but I do think a lot of things would just melt away if there was real equity economically. Yeah, except for like whoever decides that will always be just like shitted on. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? Because no matter how great your scope is, you could never account for the people who are marginalized. There's always going to be a margin. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, I don't like, yeah, I don't think we're ever, that's a kind of a utopian vision that's not really probably ever, has never existed and probably never will in a total way. Yeah. That's where when you like think about Octavia Butler, you get like really freaked out because she like already figured this out it's like there's always going to be like a tortured girl in a closet that (laughs) our like comfort as a society rests on that we don't talk about and we like (laughs) know is there and like that's the base of which we like live and experience comfort like we know that someone has to suffer that really freaks me out. <laughs> like, right. Well, maybe we all have to suffer, though. Like, I think that's maybe something that, uh, or that we're all, like, nuanced beings with good and bad qualities and, you know, happiness and sadness. Like, I think that sometimes what I feel is missed by, like, um, certain political ideas. like. Like, we've always been kind of violent and terrible in <laughs> different ways, you know? Like, that's this is the Camille Paglia talking out of your mouth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the, the chaotic nature of humanity. Yeah. I mean, I do believe that there's sort of like a violence you can't suppress 
and the fact that like societies are built on power yeah relations that like you just can't get rid of like whoever's on top is going to be hated no matter who it is like and maybe you're gonna abuse their power in some way too yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's like there is I don't know what the way out is but in this current moment where I'm like I'm gonna get canceled I'm just like I'll make some NFTs and maybe I'll like make some money and like (laughs) be able to like go to Nice once a year I don't know yeah um you had mentioned maybe we could I don't know if this if you have anything more to say about it but you had said something about we could talk about like offensiveness or political correctness or something was there something specifically that you had felt like was where you were like trying to find that line or how you feel about that I the way I feel about it is that it's like just a shifting horizon all the time it's Mm -hmm. like on my way to making this show I had to do a lot of significant edits to things and then I realized oh my god I published this to Vimeo before I made my significant edits and I was like oh thank Mm -hmm. god no one actually cares about my Vimeo and I like (laughs) like like no one can no one really watches this except for like my stalkers like great like good but like I don't know part of me is like I'm gonna forever revise my CV fuck it like I don't care like in 2050 all the titles of my works will change on my CV all the titles of my shows will change I don't care if it keeps me like surfing the universe that's fine I don't think it's cynical I just think it reflects how I've evolved in my thinking about myself and I want to keep that I want to preserve that as a line in which I can live you know there's a few people who benefit from being visionaries in a corner um they really figured out the like bars of their cage and like the parameters in which they lived and I don't live like that like maybe I do but then who made the cage and what's the appropriate cage changes you know and I I just want to like not get subsumed by every political moment because of that yeah and it it freaks me out that like you know if I was if I if I were an academic and I and I functioned in a system where like constantly like new 18 year olds called into question my reason for existence like I'd have to like redraw that all the time and like it wouldn't even be to my advantage they'd be like oh you were on a podcast in February 28, 2021, talking to John Sullivan about this and that. I'd be like, yeah, but now I've changed. Like, right. That, right. that lack of flexibility about what your identity is is so confusing to me that that, like, people want to, like, make that a static object yeah. to, like, cast you out from is so confusing to me when the nature of social media is the exact opposite of that, too. Like, so what's the, what's the logic behind that? Yeah. Totally. I mean, maybe have to learn. I mean, I don't think I've done this, but maybe one, I feel like maybe on some level, this podcast is a way for me to try to censor myself less or something. Like I want to try to not shy away from difficult conversations or something. I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I've achieved it yet, but I, would like to try to live without fear of cancellation as much as I can. 
I mean, cancellation is like a privileged post. Like you have to actually have some authority that mm-hmm. people want to cancel you from. Right. Like, it's almost like every time I say I'm going to get canceled, it's like a joke. It's like a self-effacing joke. I'm like, as if I could get canceled. Like <laughs> as if enough people have launched me into some sort of sphere of like, um, you know, respectability that now I can be torn down it's like I'm not going to be Joe Biden I'm not going to be Kamala Harris like Mm -hmm. I don't have to function in that sphere and I think that's the thing about the art world that I'm a little sad about is that we all have now absorbed that kind of level of like civilian politics into the art world that like doesn't work doesn't work like the whole reason things can exist is because you can be inappropriate and you can sort of stretch what is um sensible and 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 polite at any moment and that 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 logical breach creates a new reality right so that's the part like questioning like like maybe we don't know what it means until we see it or feel it or or that it can be a safe place for transgression which might not be good or helpful and not sorted out that's not like completely laid out in like an a to B to C way is like, to me, the most exciting thing about art is that you can sort of latch onto things that help you get to that other place in which you're thinking about something. Like you don't need to have that completely laid out for you. Like there's nothing more boring to me than things where the politics are so legible that you're like, oh, great. It's a really good illustration of what it's like meant to be. Exactly. Yeah. I was actually reminded of um, one of the things I thought about in your installation was like, it reminded me a bit of Vito Acconci's seed bed for something, for some reason, maybe just because of the incline or something. I don't know, just the, I guess maybe the idea of this kind of like inner chamber too, but I wonder if he would have been, if he would be canceled if that work were made today. Wait. Oh, uh, wait, what, what, what specific thing remind you of Seabed? Just the format of the ramp in the show? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Something, but also maybe like when I think about it more, like you, we, all these little videos of, of you performing. Well, maybe not all of them, maybe especially the, the food one, which, which I really like a lot. Um, and I had to look up what mukbang means, but Mukbang <laughs> um, just means eating room. Like it's yeah. a room where you eat, and it's like a very popular format that was started in South Korea specifically, where you would be like eating alone and you'd watch someone eating alone and you'd feel like you had company. Oh, but there feels like something a little bit masturbatory about it too, maybe because of the can't like the way in your video it feels like you're like seeing something you're not supposed to or well I, I the thing that I did that was sort of I guess different is that usually it's just like a it's like a straight up shot of someone eating food and going oh yum this is so good mm, yummy <laughs> and in in the video that I made for the show it's like the camera's position positioned in the food so you're like being consumed by the person as opposed to just sort of like you watching someone delighting in consumption it's like it puts you in a strange position where you feel very um I don't know vulnerable but like it's just like an odd way to look at like eating which is like from the food point of view 
Yeah, it feels like I feel like it makes it makes the Kim Jong character feel vulnerable too, though, because he's so like animalistic and kind of like grunting and stuff. And I don't know, like it feels like a moment he wouldn't present to the world or something. Maybe that's how it reminds me of masturbation or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my hope for that was that it brought something the show it was bodily as opposed to cerebral and like high-minded just something that was like really baseline of like what like intimacy feels like even though it's through a screen like it's just this sort of like strangely gross like series of sonic and visual events that you just couldn't imagine you know Mm -hmm. yeah I like that I mean that was the piece I felt like I could absorb the most within a opening too like you don't really miss any dialogue or anything so I but I I really enjoyed that piece a lot yeah that's the most popular one it's like the sleeper hit it was like the dumbest idea I have where I was like let me put a GoPro in this ramen noodles bowl and eat it and and see what happens as Kim Jong-un but I did want to I did want to sort of create the opposite view of what most mukbang videos are like Mm -hmm. and there I feel like I don't know if they're a mukbang or not but I remember seeing a video where there's a girl who was like a YouTube sensation who was like putting her face in bread all the time and it seemed like a bit like fetishistic or like maybe something like someone would get off on possibly (laughs) yeah yeah, the, the bread girl has uh, brought my attention a lot. I'm like, that's cool. I personally find it boring, but yo. I find it boring cool. too, but I just, that's the only food video person I'm aware of. <laughs> I'm like, that's, uh, to me, that's like borderline racist, where it's like very exoticizing. You're like, oh, in Asia, they like watching people like smash their faces in bread. That's like a turn on. Ooh. <laughs> It must be because they have like strange anatomies we can't imagine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's like it's it's very exoticizing to me. Like that whole thing. I mm. mean, do you think she's exoticizing herself, or other people are doing it to her? I can't tell if she thinks it's funny, and I guess that's the problem. Like, if there's no real humor involved, I don't understand what it is. I just couldn't tell if it was art or not. Like, I think I saw it in like a context where it was supposed to be art. And I thought it was just like a YouTube weird thing more than art. Yeah. I mean, YouTube is a place where the the line between art and self-expression for monetary gain are completely blurred. Mm-hmm. And so what is anything? <laughs> and that's been around for so long now it's like it's like ancient history that's like the museum of natural history for people right that's the other thing about video like I feel like I can't compete with all this content like there's so much of it and people or like now there's TikTok even which is like the crack of video art or something I hate TikTok I fucking hate TikTok there's nothing about TikTok that appeals to me I watch these videos and I go we are like glue sniffing idiots in a void there's nothing about this that makes sense to me like people doing like dances because everyone else is doing the dance or like making food that's Mm -hmm. gross like gross food in a very formalized way is like that's to me is like ballet like a shitty community theater version of ballet (laughs) I don't yeah I don't I don't 
I just don't watch TikTok. I don't know that much about it, but I can't feel like I can't take on a new social media format and I don't need any more distraction in my life. So I'm like, yeah, avoiding it. <laughs> Do you have anything that's inspiring you lately or anything that's bringing you pleasure? Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, bring me pleasure. I don't know. Like talking to my friends about their really mundane problems gives me pleasure. Um, makes me feel human. Um, inspiring. Uh, oh, I wish I felt inspired. <laughs> I don't feel inspired. I do feel like a hunger to make more stuff myself without inspiration. Um, music. I haven't listened to music in a long time. Um, and I, I, I like don't want to get stuck listening to stuff that I listened to when I was like 14 to like 28. So part I feel of like was- I'm a little bit like well maybe not that but I get stuck in loops of listening to the same thing over and over yeah I'm worried about that because I feel like I don't want to get too romantic about my own trauma of the world and like music is such a direct way to plug into that like I guess I could listen to Courtney Love a lot. I like love her Instagram and I like everything she posts, but like, I don't want to listen to Hole again Mm -hmm. ever because (laughs) I don't want to be in the mindset I was in when I was like 13 and like ripped up fishnets, like feeling bad. Like I just. About kids, like I actually any high school film, I don't, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to revisit that time frame. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of want to hope that the future, my hope is in the future. Like, I don't want to feel like it's closing down on me because they don't understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I also don't understand Post Malone. I don't understand why this guy who's white with face tattoos makes this emo music and covers Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> I didn't know he covers Hootie, but I feel like I got, I feel like he wore me down a little bit. And I, there's like two songs of his I like now. <laughs> yeah 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 I mean there's a thing where you can listen to like it's like you can be in a subway with someone who just pooped their pants and you'll get used to it in 10 minutes like you can get adjusted to any bad smell in 10 minutes and I feel that way about pop music like I will just sort of adjust my antenna to whatever is happening in 10 minutes but like post Malone with the bad face tattoos is like an emo white guy covering Hootie and the Blowfish like, I feel like if I can get my head around that, like, I can get my head around anything, you know? <laughs> so that's my hope space. That's my hope space. I'm like, if I can get into music because of that, like, well, then I can do pretty much anything. I'm not going to die as a fossil in the Museum of Natural History of Boomers. I don't know. I feel like you're very forward looking. You're like, all. I feel like you're really looking ahead. <laughs> I just love people and I just believe in the project of humanity. So it's like, that's like the Pollyanna version of me where I'm like very critical of society at large, but I do believe that we figure stuff out. Like, and I want to sort of ride that tide whenever it happens. And then also be bitchy about how I'm having to ride the tide. Like, 
think that's like the only sensible position to be in. Otherwise, like I would be like bitter, angry in a corner, like talking to eight therapists all day. Like that's like what I see as my future if I didn't do that. <laughs>